Welcome back to Back Chat with Joe Costigan. This week I spoke to NUI Galway Student Union President Roisin Glocklin about her time last year as Student Welfare Officer, why she decided to run for the SU again and what changes need to be made to third level education in Ireland. Thanks for talking to me today, Roisin. I just thought that, you know, student politics is something that not a lot of young people know about, even though it affects quite a lot of it, because even though not all young people go to college, you know, a lot want to, a lot may not have the option to, but, you know, we're planning on going there in the future. So you obviously have a lot of experience in student politics. You just finished a full year as welfare officer in NUIG and are about to go into a full year as president of NUIG Student Union. So first of all, congratulations on your victory. But How did you find a year in this kind of full-time role managing student welfare? Yeah, um, I think like my year as welfare officer is very much unlike any other years as previous welfare officers, previous SU officers because of obviously the pandemic. Like I'm always saying SU officers this year could write the manual on on SU work because of what a different year it was. But um, I think it was definitely an important year in terms of like student welfare um, you know, we were all students, like including me, I was a student in March 2020, we're all told to pack up and go home all, all of a sudden, you know, all everything went online, you know, we've experienced something that like, no, well, students have experienced something that no other group of students before them would have really experienced. So it's definitely been a really different year than usual. Um, I think like this year for students was a really, really difficult year. And so many surveys showed that students were the group that were the most impacted financially, mentally. So the role of welfare officer, I feel like was a really important one this year. And the next, the welfare officer next year, Cora, will be a really, really important one next year because students are going to be coming in like on the aftermath of a pandemic, you know, the second year won't have ever experienced the big lectures or like socializing in the college bar or, you know, just like even, you know, coming out of the pandemic, like the anxiety of maybe like masks, like if we don't have to wear masks at a point like that's still going to be there and so I'm kind of going off into a tangent here but like what student unions would be looking for like for support and like welfare officers would be like a sustainable core funding every year for mental health and support services so obviously like we got anyway she got 300,000 for mental health funding this year but we won't really want to see that continued because I think the support is more important than ever next year like no, I'm I'm doing crossover with the incoming team now, the incoming welfare officer, and like I can't prepare her for an in-person year. You know what I mean? So I've never experienced that. I can only I can only like train her like online. Like I the, the committee meetings that we would be in every day. Like I have never met the staff in person. I don't know how tall they are. Like I only know them from their face and all. You know. So um yeah, it's definitely different to what I expected when I ran for the ASU. And as part of those challenges that you think are facing you next year, is that part of why you wanted to run for another full-time role? Yeah, um, so I haven't actually, I, I will go back to my degree at some point. Um, I have one year left in my degree, but yeah, I think from being a welfare officer, like the welfare officer really sees the most vulnerable students in the college. So like the welfare officer wouldn't have, I don't think as much of a say like on committees as the president would, like the president would sit on, a good a good few more committees than the welfare officer would and so I do think the president has more of a say and kind of more influence so from being in the position where I saw like what really needs to change whether it's like in the counseling service or in the financial aid fund the way that works you know just lectures having you know more compassionate like exceptional circumstances stuff like that and 
bringing all that that I've seen as well for us are too president and I really think that there is change that can be made and I was I said when I ran for election that you need someone who is willing to um, kind of like fight back against the university and fight back against government cuts and I thought that was me so that's why I ran and I can't wait to get started on doing that. And actually when you were talking about there about fighting back against universities and what the role of a president should be. I saw online during your campaign that you made a really interesting point that this is not a mini doll. Student politics is not a way for you to push the agenda of your political party, that it's a union. So what what made you kind of draw that distinction between the two? Yeah, um, I suppose like SUs, like when I was in first year, I never voted or, or second year, like I never voted for in a student union election until it was my own election. So um, I've been that disengaged student and I just think there is that like perception of it being like people in the SU are just there for a career. And in some cases that that is the case, you know, um, you see people, there is a lot of, I guess, middle-class people that run for the students union that wouldn't necessarily understand the struggles of working class students or like underrepresent any underrepresented group in university. Um, and I think, you know, there, there has been, even in my own experience, I've seen candidates that have ran on a platform of, of not being political, like a platform of our union is too political. But like, at the end of the day, it's a union. So like, you need to kind of like re- know your history or like know what a union is. First of all, like you're there to represent your students and like matters of student welfare are inherently political anyway, like student welfare and student equality, because like, that like the things that I would be dealing with as well for us would be like housing, sexual health, and um, finances, mental health. That all comes back to government decisions on third level funding. So you need to be political, I suppose, but you need, you know, you need to be political in the right way. <laughs> like you need to um, be there for the right reason. Like if you're someone in Finnfall or Finnegale running to be a student union officer just so it will polish your cv that's not the right reason to do it like there are genuine students struggling that need someone in there that has understood the struggles you know that has had to couch surf on their friend's house and because of the housing crisis or that has had to choose between paying rent or eating food for the month you know like people like that which i was that student and that's why i ran for welfare and and i know like the current the income and welfare officer has similar reasons as well so I don't know if that answered the question but it does but I also yeah. just have another question there you were talking about students running as part of Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil but is that different to yourself running as a People Before Profit member like is there any difference between different members of a political party running I'm not questioning your integrity for running but I don't I don't really understand the difference there between why it's acceptable for people from one party to run but not for another well, it is acceptable for people from part East Rome, but it's just that they have to be in there for the right reasons. Like, it's just questionable if you're part of a party that doesn't put students first, you know what I mean? So when I ran for welfare, I wasn't part of any political party. You know, I wasn't part of any political party for a year there. But, you know, in my personal, I guess, like, I try to distinguish my personal life from the student union, but it also intertwines, obviously, because of my experiences as a student. But um, I guess, like... So I joined a political a political party because because I feel like you're better off in a party sometimes. Like I did 
go it solo for a while there and I do see the merits of just you know I do see why people don't join political parties but like people before profit they've consistently you know put bills forward in the doll and like in Stormont and been out there protesting like against fees and for like student focused issues like student accommodation bills and everything like that so there is a difference there and um, that the party I joined supposed to put students to the forefront as well as a range of um social issues whereas you know the parties in government have the power to do something and they don't so when I say like a mini doll I feel like a lot of the people that run for SUs um aren't political like I said so running for the SU not being that political like being in a party but not caring that much I feel like it's different to like being in a party like PVP because that's actually taking action on the streets and stuff. And while they can't really take action in, the, in like electoral politics because they don't have that many seats, you know, um, that there still is grassroots movements. And I feel like that's different from people who run for the SU but don't even really understand what politics is. Like I know we had a USI, um, we had a USI meeting the other day. Um, one of the meetings on the agenda was about deplatforming a certain Dublin Bay South candidate because we have a deep a deplatforming stance, and a lot of the people there didn't know who he was. And I was like, "You're in a union, like you should know who these people are. Like you're representing students at this effect because it does affect those students." You're talking about students kind of not knowing different things, and I think even there when you mentioned USI, like I know the name and I know what they're meant to represent and stuff, but maybe this is just my own ignorance. But I don't fully understand what the USI is and it wasn't until a conversation with you a few weeks ago that I realized my own college UL isn't even part of the USI so if this is something that students money is going towards you know paying for membership for what 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 exactly do the USI USI do what have they accomplished what are they meant to accomplish yeah well like you I didn't know who they were either until I got into this job which is really bad and and there so there is that disconnect there and it's something that really really needs to be changed like and actually the, the USI putting their heads down and being like why is that disconnect there why do people not know who we are because they should that's that 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 is their job and it's not the fault of the USI I don't think and um, you know the USI are there so it's a, an executive committee so we have like the VP campaigns who cancel the campaigns for the year like education for all break the barriers from the future uh, VP Equality and Citizenship, VP Welfare, President, VP Academic Affairs, which is Education. So there's the huge exec and they're basically there to sit on the national um, structures, like the national um, committees with like government officials and so on and try to lobby for change there. Um, but the thing we're always saying is when, when, the gov- when the USI exec is meeting with government departments, they need to be relaying to the government departments that it's it's local student unions that have the on the ground um, knowledge, I guess, from what's actually happening with students, because that is a big issue within the USI. They, and they're aware of that themselves. They're sitting on these committees with like Simon Harris and you know ministers for housing and everything, but the the actual student representatives on the ground aren't. So we do have like monthly working groups and stuff where like you know you, you feedback and like you tie in with what's going on on the ground. But um, yeah, I suppose like this year has been a really hard year for the USI having to be all online. So like the regional officer, so you have like the southern officer, you have the BMW, border, Midlands, West, Western region. 
um, and the Dublin region would actually go onto the campuses and meet students and stuff. But comes like them coming onto campuses and meeting students that like for for students that don't know what their own SU is already, they're not going to be interested in like a USI officer coming down. So there does really need to be changed there. And um, you know, students do pay towards the USI, they do pay a fee like in our levy anyway. So would be there is change to come there. And um, definitely I definitely see the disconnect because I have been a disconnected student. And do you think that there's actually a need for the USI if it is costing students money and they're not reaping the rewards of it? Because I mean, I personally felt I had the same access to my student reps last year as students in NUIG would have had to you and your students are part of the USI. I'm not. Do you know, I think personally, the USI needs a bit of reform. I do think there's a need for them, but if we get it right, you know, so like, we have some brilliant people elected this year, like some really radical activists that want to change it from within. And I feel like there are problems going back in the USI from like it being, there was a lot of Fianna Fáil and there was Fianna Gael people in the USI, which might have kind of um, toned it down, like on the activism side, I guess, maybe. But yeah, I think um, the more radical people get into the USI, not radical as in, you know, like bad, <laughs> but like radical people who are actually willing to, you know, like occupy places and like do sit-ins and, you know, do whatever it takes to get people to listen to them and to get students engaged, like get the huge big protest through Dublin and through Galway and wherever it might be going again, you know, like people that will actually, I suppose, like really engage students and actually make change because while like SU's obviously do a lot and I see it in my everyday work, like we kind of look to the USI to the national like committee to do the lobbying on a on a national level and try and get things like fees reduced, which hasn't really you know that hasn't really been any movement on that, which is the main student issue really. You were saying just a while ago that you know a lot of students don't even really know what their own student union does, and again, my own ignorance here. Before I needed my student union last year, I didn't even know that these were full time roles. I thought that these were students who are in full time education who were doing this kind of on the side and I'm sure most people know their full-time roles but people don't really know what you do Monday to Friday nine to five so what can it, what does a standard working week in a student union look like? Yeah so like it's kind of like what you said there like before you need the students union you don't really know them necessarily like because it is and I kind of touched on this like it is the most vulnerable students in the college that need the SU so like while you may never need your SU or you may never need to go to them within your three or four years of college they are making changes that um impact students positively such as like increases to like counseling services or an NUAG like the laptop loan scheme was an SU scheme which helped so many working class students that couldn't afford or like their laptops broke or you know whatever it was or like it's your SU that provides peer, free period products. It isn't your uh, college. It's the SU that like pr- that brought the T fund, the transition fund, which like helps trans students afford like you know gender affirming stuff, makeup binders, whatever it might be. And um, so whether or not you need the SU, the SU is there and they're helping people. And then you know like things from a welfare perspective, like day to day, and would like now it's all emails and phone calls but like normal times like it would be people coming up to the office but the welfare officer really deals with like the tough stuff I guess so like you know there has been um 
students that come, you know, reporting sexual assault or students that um, might be feeling suicidal, you know, need to get referred them onto like urgent um, help with like the counselling service or the chaplaincy. Students that are struggling with finances to the point that they are going homeless. So then like, you know, linking them in with the financial aid services and stuff. And we, so there's that case where there's one-to-one with students that the welfare would have the most of, like the full-time officer team. And then sitting on those committees and actually being able to make change. So the welfare officer normally would in each college would sit on the financial aid committee. So being able to being able to, you know, allocate more money to students and stuff like that for their financial aid applications or make sure the communication for the financial aid fund is in improved. Or like this year we got um seven thousand extra funding for the counseling um, service in the Shannon campus because we have all these satellite campuses that don't really get as much attention as they want. So there's all there's there's the really tough side to the welfare office officer's job, like that stuff, which is like it's you you need to kind of you need to be an empathetic person first of all to be a welfare officer, but you need to be able to kind of have a thick skin to be able to deal with that stuff. Like there is the fun side of it too, like the welfare officer has responsibility for all the shag weeks and like mental health weeks and and shop to Miguel guys stuff like that so there is the fun side of it as well which can be really stressful but things like that which actually um make college a bit more bearable for students you know yeah talking about that tough side I did kind of want to ask you about that because you know I know you receive training in all these different areas and stuff but at the end of the day all these welfare officers are just people usually in their early 20s who you know you don't have degrees in social care and psychology or any or any of that so what kind of toll can that have on someone to sit there and listen to these kind of awful scenarios all day every yeah. day yeah like their past welfare officers always like say to their um, successors you know you're not a counsellor so don't you know don't feel too much pressure but that is like the student union is such a good referral service so we can easily refer people on to the counselling service or like the Galway crisis centre or the health unit like whichever service they need and um, is like at the tip of our fingers like a phone call away you know email away we do get training which is really really beneficial like for, for me being a welfare officer I got like a two-day training from the HSE on mental health first aid which is so beneficial to have like not even for the SU but just for life but and I really think all the officers should get that as well because the education officer gets a lot of people coming to them as well like they're struggling with with um coursework and like assignments and deferrals and all of that um I feel like there's more training that we could all get. Like, I don't feel like there's ever enough. But, like, yeah, I do think it's really important that SU officers remember to take care of themselves as well. Obviously, the main priority um, in the job of students, but, like, your mental health, your own mental health and all should always come first. Um, so a, a big thing with SU officers is, like, working more hours than you're down for, you know, that you get paid for. So, um big things like that like actually taking a break actually taking your days off off you know and when you were working from home the last year and you were kind of dealing with these issues you know from your own bedroom or your own kitchen or whatever was it hard to kind of separate your personal life from your work life when all these issues you know you couldn't just walk away from the office and leave them behind they were there in your own home yeah that's exactly it it really it was hard it was really hard times because like you said like we can't just walk away from the office like in a normal day if it turned like five or six or seven p.m you could just you know lock the office door and go home but 
yeah it was really hard to find a separation like being in the bedroom or even like coming down to the kitchen like it doesn't you're in the same place and like a lot of the meetings would start at like 10 a.m but then they would finish at 5 p.m and then we would have an extra su like event like the humble hoodie or something at 7 p.m so most days like we wouldn't be finished from like 9 or 10 in the morning until like 7 or 8 at night so it's like by the time we can't even go outside and get a walk or like a night a long walk you know it would be dark so yeah it was really hard like I can't wait to hopefully be back on campus and just have like a normal year in the SU like a year that I expected when I first ran and like it did like my housemates did say to me like that I, I was cooped up in the house for a while because I just like could never get away from the screen and if I was in the office it, it would be so much better but yeah that I think I think we're I think that's something that everyone was struggling with for the pandemic you know even students being on the laptop being on lectures and stuff so and are there mental health services for the likes of you to turn to or are you if you're the person that people go to who do you go to yeah that so I don't know if every student union does this but we get um a counsellor so all three full-time officers get them here so we can meet with her twice a month if we need which is really really good to have really helpful like it's not the student union counsellor, it's like a, you know, a private in-house counsellor. So that's really helpful to have, you know, we've all used her a few times, I think. So obviously, you know, you're talking there about all the work that student unions do and you're saying that this is not a nine to five job, you know, it, it goes on much longer than that. And so do you sometimes get really frustrated when you hear certain students saying, we don't have a need for the SU, you know, they've never helped me. They're, you know, is it three full-time salaries? plus all the other expenses, is that a waste of our money? Is that really frustrating to see when you're there working all day, every day? It is, yeah. And, like, I don't, like, really, you know, I can't fully blame them because I know there is that disconnect and I know student unions need to do more to engage more students. But it is that, like, it is that, like, kind of what I touched on before, like, if you need the student union, you'll know who they are. And, like, this is the other thing. You don't need to know your name and the birthday of your SU officer. If you know the SU is there and that it's a support for you, that's what is needed. Um, so, like, I know there is that disconnect and I can't blame students for that. But, yeah, it, it, it is hard to hear when there is so much involved, especially from the welfare perspective. Um, but it is, you know, a lot of the work that the SU does, some ordinary students will never hear about it because of the sensitive nature of the cases that and that is just like the nature of a lot of SU work like a lot of the financial aid one committees I sit on like you'll never hear the cases for them because they're confidential you know but they're impacting students in such a positive way like when I was in first year and got the financial aid fund like that was like a lifeline for me at the time you know like it, it, it's such a positive impact that students do remember so Yes, you like whether you need it or not, they are making positive changes for other students. And, you know, it'll work out about like work out less than a fiver for each student to pay for their SU, which does get really good changes. Like we just seen there in the legislation about the removal of the lump sums, which is going through cabinet, you know, for accommodation, like paying like eight grand up front, which is ridiculous. And the price of accommodation without that as it is is ridiculous. But like things like that, you know, that's just a recent example that I could think of. Like student unions are really fighting for change and they do really want to see what's best for students. So there definitely needs to be like more visibility and stuff. But it can be frustrating hearing that, yeah. Do you think that that lack of visibility is why they're so there's so low turnout for student union elections? I mean, I don't have the exact numbers, but I think it's somewhere like 
10 to 15 percent of students vote in student union elections I think 15 percent will be on that on the, on the higher end of that one but what do you think student unions can do to in to engage more students and to make them vote or do you think that as long as a student doesn't need their student union they're not going to vote for them yeah it's really that you like that's like the big question that's always asked like it is really tough like um if a student doesn't need the SU, they might well not go because why would you? And like, if you don't need them, you know, which is the attitude that we need to change. Um, and a lot of students, like I know, like the, the youth are the future and like a lot of students are becoming like more politically engaged and stuff, which is good to see. And as we see that, I feel like we're seeing turnouts increasing like this year. I don't know whether it's because it was online or not, but um, or the just the political um you know environment that we're in but um turnouts across the board I think did increase but yeah like I think I think there are students that aren't that politically engaged you know and don't they maybe like have too much going on like when I was in first year I was dealing with so much like mental health wise college wise I felt like I was getting behind on all my coursework and then balancing that with the job and balancing that with the social life it's kind of like how where like we're asking them to do another thing we're asking them to get involved with the student union on top of all of that so I think one of the big problems as well as visibility yeah like advertising the SU what they do and when the elections are on as well as that I think like having uh, SU officers that students can relate to so not just the students that need it but the wider student body like the broader student body having that officers that they can relate to having officers that will actually engage with them you know, because and there is the, the um, what's the word for it? There is like the view of some SUs as a click, which like I can't, I can see it. Like for my, for my own team at the minute, like I, I wouldn't, I couldn't say we're a click because we've never even met. We've met like I could count on hand the one time we've met and we didn't know each other before. It's so only we could be a click, but like there is, there is that perspective out there because it just seems that from the outside of in that SUs only stick to like, you know, class reps or like the welfare crew or like people that actually volunteer so yeah reaching out to the people that don't volunteer reaching out to the people that aren't so politically engaged and making them aware of what the SU does and I know whether that could be like relieflets or you know more like things like shop week and stuff and like all the events that we do shop to McGill are always really good for getting students on and like everyone loves the free sex toy and stuff so (laughs) they're good but yeah more is needed to be done and We've seen an increase this year, so hopefully we'll see an increase next year. I think when the SU is actually seen to be doing stuff, it really helps because this year, and I'm not saying previous SUs to me were great, don't get me wrong, but um, this year I feel like we, the three full-time officers, were a lot more visible on social media and a lot more vocal in what we were actually doing. So like, we had this thing called the weekly roundup on Instagram, which like every Friday we just went on and we said what was happening or like, you know, updates. And students really find it beneficial because, again, that's keeping them in the loop of what's actually happening because they are paying for it. So you do want to know like what, what your SU officers are doing if you're paying for them. So, yeah, being vocal about like if, if you if you achieve something as an SU officer, tell your students about it. Like, let them know because it's an achievement for the students. You know, it's not like your achievement. So. Yeah, keeping them updated, increasing visibility, engagement with the students that aren't engaged. You were saying that an important part of being on the SU is to represent all the students, you know, and not just the students who already relate to you. As someone who takes kind of really firm political stances and you're very critical 
of government parties policies on student welfare do you sometimes face a kind of internal struggle that you know you may not be representing though because surely there are students in NUIG who are part of Fine Gael, part of Fianna Fáil, maybe not part of the Green Party, I know a lot of their younger members left last year. Do you sometimes worry that you're maybe you're not representing them fully? Yeah, it is an internal struggle because like I'm there as an elected student rep to to be vocal on student issues and the government parties aren't making great progress on student issues. You know, they haven't been great for students or for third level education for years like over decades so I, I know that there are students that are definitely in those parties but you know my job is to represent students and to represent the, the all students yeah but to really fight for the changes that affect students that really need it and um, which the government it, it's really hard to do when you have a government that just isn't willing to make any change or isn't willing to show any change in like a reduction of fees you know, um, the thing with when I ran for election, there was a lot of like, um, there was like reaction from opposing political parties, I suppose, because I have been so vocally against like, say, the far right or say like um, some of female policies and stuff and how they affect working class people. But the thing with me is like, as much as I take a stance against those things, I always listen to the other side. I always listen but I make my own stance on it and I decide that stance is wrong if I feel like it's wrong. So there's a lot of, like, a lot of people seem to think people like, you know, on, on the left side of politics are intolerant, but like, I always listen and I, I take, I try to understand where that person's coming from, but the change, like the, the, the thing there is I decide what I agree with and what I don't. And if I don't agree with it, I don't agree with it. And that's my view. And I'm representing all students, but I'm representing and a student union is there to fight for student issues. So that is, you know, that is what I'll do. Like, that is what I'm there for. When students come to me as well, perhaps, or like, I will be there for any student. So like, when someone comes into, you know, my virtual office door this year, but my office door, like, my politics doesn't come into it. Like, we could be polar opposites on the political spectrum, but if they're in need of, like, you know, financial assistance, housing assistance, you know, anything like that like politics doesn't come into it they're a student they're in need and the welfare officer like that's why I ran to help those students so yeah there's the political side to the student union more like you know lobbying and policy and all that but then there's that like one-on-one casework as well. You were talking earlier about who got rid of you know the rule that landlords could charge lump sums for accommodation and you know you've mentioned scrapping fees a lot throughout the interview and what other kind of barriers to education do you think there are? Because we're talking all about higher level education, but not all young people or people in general have access to third level education. Yeah, like, like I could be here all day talking about the barriers to education. Like there are so many, um, you know, like I know I've said it a few times, but I myself, like I come from a working class background and just like coming coming from the north and you know, the accommodation, I remember, like, I got accepted into Queen's before I did NUAG, so, like, I got my, I, I had my apartment and all secure, and it was something like £240 a month for Belfast City Centre, and I was like, oh, grand, can't wait, you know, like, I was buzzing to move in Belfast, and then got accepted into NUAG, I saw the accommodation prices, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I was like, how am I going to be able to afford this? Like, I'm going to have to get, like, a full-time not full-time but you know a lot of hours working a part-time job on top of college on top of getting my Susie grant or my Susie grant my student finance NI grant 
Um, so accommodation is, I think, is one, and I've always said this is one of the biggest barriers because so many people just look at the accommodation and the, the price of housing and they're like, no, I can't go to college there. And, you know, I've been, I've been in meetings like on a university level where they're talking about increasing um, the price of the, the on-campus accommodation at the moment for next year. And they're saying that the rates at the moment are good value and, like, you know, um, affordable. And I'm sitting there like affordable to who? It's certainly not affordable to students. It certainly wouldn't have been affordable to me. And like, I, I know people that have said they've got on, on-site accommodation and the cheapest room, like a twin room, it's like three and a half grand per semester. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. You can just get a twin room in Carr Village. Like, that's cheap enough. It, it isn't, though. Like, I still couldn't have afforded that. My parents couldn't have. Because, uh, uh, like, it doesn't always come from the bank and mommy and daddy. But most, like, accommodation, it does. And my parents certainly wouldn't have been able to afford it. And I know I'm not the only one who says that. And then there's the, the issue of grants as well. So working class students would have to work, like, since, you know, their teenage years to be able to afford to live in Ireland. But then if you work, like you don't get the full Susie brand that you should get. So there's so many problems. Susie needs complete reform. And there's so many barriers as well for like ethnic minority groups coming into education. Like I know NUIG is kind of, has kind of been a leader in, um, in, in that sense in some ways, like for, for traveler students, they're, but there's still only 1% of travelers in higher education, like in the whole of Ireland, which is, you know, why like there needs to be way more support especially you know like traveler families are coming from working class families so again all comes into that all comes into the cost of education like education is a human right like it, sh- it should be free you know and it just it just really isn't affordable for ordinary students like the the salaries that government or not even government he's but tds and university like um management staff are on you know they they looking at their salaries like looking at our president in NUAD who earns more than the tea shop telling students that a 295 euro repeat fee is moderate like you just really have to question how far removed from reality those people are like a lot of the times it feels like the staff and the university and the older generation like in a more broad sense forgets what it's like to be a student like it really is like the reality really is like choosing whether to eat or to pay rent you know I've been in that position um, so many of my friends have been in that position and and for students like me or you know for people like me it can't come from the back of mommy and daddy like not everyone has that option and like even in terms of like I know I mentioned Susie there like they have no supports for estranged students students that don't have any contact with their parents or like student parents themselves and um, which is another group that face such a barrier to education and um, there's just so many like I could just talk all day about it. <laughs> if you want to bring it back to Susie reforms because I know you were talking about like them they don't make exceptions for estranged students and stuff like that but I think the way that Susie is calculated is just it treats all students as if they're in the one position and I know something that shocked me when I when I was applying was that um they were taking my own income from my part-time job in sixth year. And I thought that, you know, you shouldn't be asking me how much money did you earn in your part-time job in sixth year. You should be asking me, why did I need to have a part-time job in sixth year? You know, I got less money. For, I'll be honest, and I'll say I got less money from Susie in my first year of college because I worked a part-time job during sixth year. I used to get up 
at seven o'clock in the morning on a Friday, I would do a full day in school. I would get home from school at around half four and I would start work at five o'clock and I would work five until 10. That was a full day of nonstop going. I was 18 years old and I was punished by Susie's system for doing that. And I know I'm not alone there. But then some people are in a different scenario. Some people, all they have is their own income and they don't have any access to their parents' income and their parents' income is pushing them over the threshold for it. So how do you think you can make that distinction between students who are in different positions when applying for Susie? Yeah, Susie, like Susie in its current form isn't fit for purpose. And um, Minister Simon Harris has like um, initiated a Susie reform, a Susie review. So we did get together with like groups of students, like working groups, and come together and we all said what the issues were and like it was good because you got to hear from all different parts of students like in those working groups and then we put that into our Susie um review submission and sent that to the department so um there has been like work on it I I mean like I don't have that much faith like I have hope I hope there is change I just think there like there are so many issues there like you just mentioned the estranged uh, students and like the students that work that work to afford to live and then are punished for that it is coming back to making universities just a place for middle class students like you know like trying to push working class students out of education do you think that it'll be worthwhile for Susie to look into kind of targeting different areas because not to keep bringing up my own experience but something that shocked me was that there's no grant available for accommodation through Susie they you know they'll pay for your fees then they'll give you a maintenance grant but the maintenance grant is never going to cover your rent. You know, there's nothing there to help you secure accommodation. That shocked me that that wasn't part of it. Do you think that that's something that needs to be considered? Yeah, um, I think that when when they are reviewing um, the Susie, I think that they have to take into account the rising cost of living because this, I don't think the full Susie grant even covers rent anymore. Like, rent in Dublin is ridiculous and um, rent in Galway like obviously I don't know what Limerick or Cork or anything but Galway is becoming very fastly like Dublin like you know starting rate 600 euros for a room like I could get a house back home for that I could rent a full house a full apartment for that so the cost like taking into factor the cost of accommodation because they I think there is that view that mommy and daddy can pay for it again which they can't um so yeah, like I know for student finance and I, it's the same. They have like a main, they have your a, like loan, and then they have your maintenance grant. But I think that's more an issue of actually um, taking into account the rising cost of accommodation because it hasn't been reformed in I don't know the exact amount of years, but a long time. And accommodation has got just kept getting more expensive year after year. So you know we can't just we can't be given the same grants as we were 10 years ago, like Susie hasn't, inc- the Susie rate like hasn't increased in like something like 12 years or something. Um, but the cost of living, I think has went up 12.5% in that time or something like 12.5%. So it, we can't be given the same grant we were for when rents were 200 euros a month because it's just not like that anymore. As the first um, year of student union reps where you had a, a, Depar- a department of higher education and a minister of higher education to refer back to what was that experience like what would they like to deal with yeah um my first couple of months um in the role was largely to do with accommodation because I would have started July 2020 and that was like when 
students were like getting accommodation secured and you know and then finding out that they were going to be on campus so that was kind of like my first big issue in the job and I didn't get any communication from the department like none at all it was so difficult to get and you know so difficult to get any assistance when it came to private accommodation and the the department was coming out saying like oh big win we got um, refunds from on-campus accommodation but that a lot of the time was because the university owned that accommodation so they kind of had to you know but when it came to private accommodation like privately owned complexes it just there was no movement there was no communication it felt like there was no help like it felt like us as welfare officers because we do have like welfare officer working groups so like we talk to each other you know so as welfare officers we felt like we were doing the job that the department should have been doing or that like the university accommodation office should have been doing like trying to get on the phone day after day like day in day out and trying to get an email back anything from the private accommodation complexes and a lot of them like one of the complexes I emailed Curtin Carva and their email back mentioned the reason they weren't given refunds was because the government didn't have any protections for student renters. So that just says it all. I think I think if the, this new department really had their interests like where they should be, like really caring with students, then there should have been urgent protection in the door for student renters. And um, like I, I have, like we have, I'd say I've had, I could count like on my hand the number of times that we've met with Simon Harris and in one of the meetings I remember saying that it's not enough for him to just meet with the USI he has to meet with the SUs and I said that's because SUs we 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 know the local issues the USI won't be able to tell you which private accommodation complex isn't responding or which accommodation complex isn't giving refunds like USI won't be able to tell you that we'll be able to tell you that and I said to him that in going on Instagram lives isn't enough you have to actually email SU officers and actually contact them you know which is in the new plan that the department has released like I think one of the most important things is that SU officers are kept in the loop and that um, when the HEA is you know discussing plans with universities the universities have to come back to the student officers and um, yeah I think communication I know it's only the first year of it but like not not a great impression and they will say things like oh you know we got and um, we got extra funding for mental health supports this year, or we got fifty thousand increase to disability service. But it's like, well, first of all, student. If you spoke to any student this year, they weren't happy. Like uh, students, I don't know. I don't know a group that had been more abandoned than students this year. And the only time we were getting a mention on the media was getting blamed for like COVID parties. And I just, I feel, I feel like students were kept in the dark so much, even. Even the fact that they were only told that it was two days before term started here that we weren't going to be on campus. So students don't, if you asked any student, you know, that all the funding is great, don't get me wrong, but it's no, like, see the extra funding for disability, for ramps and for, like, more accessible things and, like, um, you know, STEM rooms for students with autism, that's great. But it's not great if the students can't come on campus or if the students can't afford to come to education in the first place. That's not going to help those students. Like, you know, and also the funding that, that was introduced for that this year needs to be continued. So it's not good enough to, you know, create the department, be in the first year and give all this funding. Like that has to stay, you know, that has to be like core sustainable funding for all this, for like support services for students. So um, overall,
it, it wasn't a great first year, but I will, I, I suppose I'll have to give like some of that to the fact that we are in a pandemic, I suppose. <laughs> As well as the funding, you know, obviously that was a positive change made that made by the department. Did they make any other positive changes that you thought helped students or any change that you think could help students in the future? Um, the funding, I suppose, was was kind of the main thing. Um, one of the big things this year was um, the universal um, design like for learning for to make um, education more accessible and um, you know, to students with disabilities, etc., and um, so I suppose like that, the fact that we got movement on that was a was a positive thing. Um, there are like you know many things throughout the year, like uh, the disability funding, the mental health funding, and um, consent. Like Simon Harris did send a letter to all university presidents saying that consent workshops would have to be given at every orientation. So that's really positive. You know that would have been something that I was really passionate about going into the welfare job and the president job. So like there there has been movement and I think like the fact that there is a department specifically for higher education is a good thing. We just need to see more um more changes for students to make third level more accessible because at the moment like it is, it does just feel like um they're trying to make universities for just like a I suppose middle class kind of group of students. Brilliant. Thanks for talking to me today, Roisin, and good luck with your with your full year as president. I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me.